This is Lost in the Groove. And I'm Mike. I'm Dave. We hippies have come together to spark change. So together, we give you our society and culture podcast. So with that, let's get funky and let the intro music play, baby. All right, so we are here for the second segment of season five. This part will be a little bit different. It's we're going to be discussing about forgotten history in America, the people that built this land who were here first and spo- spent upon thousands of years, different civilizations, tribes, rituals, history, ancestry, all of them combined. And finding out the stories, finding out those lost stories, finding out who these people were and how important they are to this nation. So without further ado, we have a special guest uh, representing the Sac and Fox Nation is Joaquin Hamilton Youngbird. No mistaken, that's correct, right? Yes, yes. sir. Uh, so without further ado, uh, if you want to just introduce yourself so our listeners get to know who you are. All right. <clears throat> yeah, like my buddy Dave said, you know, my name is Joaquin Hamilton Youngberg. Uh, I'm an enrolled member of the Sac and Fox Nation of Oklahoma, uh, but I also represent a few other tribes. And it's, it's pretty common here in the state of Oklahoma uh, due to the uh, forceful removals by the United States government. Uh, a lot of tribes ended in this area. Um, they used to call it Indian Territory, but today it's uh, present-day Oklahoma. And uh, but I also represent the uh, Pawnee, the Otomazuria, the uh, Kiowa, Tonkawa, Apache, and uh, Cheyenne tribes. Uh, my my father was four tribes, and my mother was uh, three. But uh, my parents decided to enroll me with the Second Fox Nation of Oklahoma. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I have two uh, beautiful children. We all uh, participate in our uh, traditional dances and ceremonies. And we've been connected uh, since I was a young child, actually. And uh, I carried on the teachings and raised my kids the same way. So I was pretty... uh, fortunate for my folks to bring us up uh, with our traditions and our ceremonies and stuff. Um, I live in a town called Shawnee, Oklahoma. Uh, It's about a 36 minute drive to work. Uh, I am the, uh, the ambassador of our tribe. Uh, In January, 2020, I took on a new position as the historical researcher so I oversee our tribal archives there at the cultural center on the reservation. Amazing. Uh, yeah, we have three departments uh, in our cultural center. Uh, we have the language department. We have the NAGPRA department, which stands for Native American Graves and Repatriation uh, Department, and the archives. And that's that's where my office is. But um, our Sac and Fox people... You know, we're, uh, we're uh, a humble, happy, uh, hardworking people, as is most tribes. Uh, we only 
went to battle when it was time to go to battle. You know, Hollywood changed a lot, a lot for a lot of natives and tribes, you know, and, um, you know, they, the way the uh, culture is portrayed is what you mean. Right. Exactly. It's it's extremely, it's a personally, I found it very barbaric because the way that Hollywood depicts native Americans as I'm sorry to use this word savages. That's the, that's the persona. And it's where, how could you call somebody a savage just because you don't understand their culture? And that was the thing about just the world in general in the 1800s and then the early, you know, the early 1900s, all the way up till I would say probably 20, 30 years ago, this culture of, you know, we don't understand it, but let's just paint and pull on, pull on suede and buffalo hide and call it a native, you know, and it's just, yeah, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, it's pretty sad that it's it's pretty sad that our Native American history wasn't taught correctly in the school districts all across the United States. Um, so that's a part of my job as well with my uh, position. I work with our education department and we go to the 12 public schools that are now on our tribal jurisdiction to teach them uh, the history of the Sac and Fox people. But uh, I also... I also hit him with a little bit of general native history because there's a lot of uh, folks that never really got to hear the dark, dark history of Native America. And to teach about one tribe is to teach about most tribes because we've all experienced genocide. We've all experienced the uh, assimilation. Uh, We're all, uh, we are subjects of victimization uh, we've we've been through the grind, and the the school districts. I mean, they'll they'll touch on some Oklahoma history here in this area. Uh, some other states, I'm sure they touch on it um, a little, but they don't get into the to the real dark history. And that's where I come in with my uh, position. Is there, is there a possibility that uh, at some point you might be able to? Um, um, I want to say penetrate to other states and um, jurisdictions with that type of education. Um, yeah, um, we actually got our tribe uh, recently got connected with the uh, Chicago Blackhawk organization up there in Chicago. And uh, uh, some of the future plans are to educate in some of the public school schools in the Illinois area about our people and the people that once lived there once upon a time. So I'm pretty excited about, you know, working in partnership with them to make that happen. It's amazing. All, yeah. Uh, my, my good friend, uh, Chris Boyd, who is our NAGPRA director, he and I, uh, we spent some time up in Illinois last week, actually, uh, at different museums to uh, work with them uh, to design and create displays that teach about our tribes. So yeah. we have some really cool things happening now. It, that is exciting. You know, I am curious because I went to school. We didn't learn that much about Native American history. And I was one of those kind of kids that I used to go to the library and I used to read books. One of the very first books I ever read about Native Americans themselves and what the tribes went through was Trail of Tears, which is a very famous book. Do you also find that works of literature like Trail of Tears, there was another one, it's called The um, the uh, Shadowed, 
the the Shadow Tribe. Um, these books that are written by authors depicting the stories, you know, not necessarily historic, but in a way that people can kind of visualize them themselves. Do you recommend that kind of work in regards to education, especially for people that are in school? Uh, yeah, to to some point. You know, um, the way I see things, uh, you know, when it comes to, like, interviews with some of our ancestors and some of our, well, even our elders, um, there was always a language barrier. So, you know, we hear about, uh, for instance, the autobiography of Blackhawk who was our war leader, you know, from seven in the late 1700s and the early 1800s, you know, he, he didn't speak English. He spoke sock. So the, the lang- the native language isn't as direct as the English language. So uh, I always wonder if they got the full gist of what our war leader was trying to say in our language. And I always wondered if the interpreter interpreted the way he meant it, for instance, you know, makes total sense. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm Jewish and we speak Hebrew and Mm -hmm. Hebrew is kind of the same way. The way that, you know, Semitic languages were created was created in a time where when you're talking to someone, you're talking out of expression. Mm -hmm. So that's how you actually talk to someone. English doesn't work like that. So even, you know, works of ancient biblical text, you can translate them to English, but they don't really make that much sense because it just right. doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Right. So you know, we. Uh, I'm I'm so grateful to be a part of this because it allows allows me a chance to share, you know, some of my heritage and who I am and how I was raised and. You know, if you guys are ready to get started with the history, then uh, we'll we'll take we'll take the the folks back to the 1600s at this time. <laughs> it goes back that far, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, my people, we were two different tribes at one time. Um, we were the Saki and the Meskwaki, and we lived along the Saint Lawrence River up there west of Montreal, Quebec, and. Um, we've always lived around each other, always coincided with each other. Uh, but we were different. We had, uh, similar languages. Um, our people, the Sauk and the Meskwaki were, were an Algonquin speaking woodland cultured people. And so, so we, we have similarities in all, all of the, uh, the Algonquin, uh, tribes. So uh, when the French and the British uh, were really coming into the area and fighting over the city, uh, our people, both of our tribes, we took off down towards Rhode Island and Massachusetts. And uh, we lived there for a little while in the early 1600s. And um, uh, we, were, we were getting into battles and uh, skirmishes with some of the local tribes there with uh, the Six Nations and Mohawk and Seneca and some of those uh, tribes that are in that area. And so we couldn't hang anymore. So we started migrating west into uh, towards Ohio, Indiana. Then we ended up in uh, Michigan. And uh, we lived there for a little while. And between 1634 and 1639, um, 
we were getting into skirmishes with the uh, the Ojibwe. They, they didn't want us. We were like the new kids on the block, and they didn't want us in town. So uh, after a few battles, they they uh, kicked us out of town, and we headed north. Um, during our time in Michigan, uh, our people picked up the name Thalki, which means the Yellow Earth people, because we lived along the uh, the uh, the beaches there on the south side of Lake. Um, I believe that's the lake that's east of Michigan. I can't remember exactly what the name of it is. Lake Erie? It might be Erie. Yeah, Yeah, it might be Erie. Because I think Michigan, Lake Michigan's the one right there by Chicago, I believe. Yeah, and Lake Erie is the one that's uh, near uh, Toronto in Ontario. So um, we picked up that name. And today we're still referred to as the Dalkey people, the Yellow Earth people. Uh, our our folks down here in Oklahoma, and so um, so we moved north, and we lived on that little island uh, called Mackinac Island, right there north of Michigan. So we lived there for uh, a, a little while, and in those days there was a lot of conflict um, uh, within the tribes, all the different tribes, and all the different uh, countries that were moving into the area. We had the French and the British. Uh, wanting land, uh, we we had the Americans coming in, and there was so much conflict because we had some native tribes allied with some other country, and then this other tribe over here was allied with this country, and so there was a lot of conflict. And in those days, some of the battles were over the the waterways because the rivers and and the streams and the creeks those were like our highways. That's how we traveled when we went hunting or when we went uh, looking for food and things like that. And so we always had these, these um, smaller battles within these big imperial battles. And there was just so much stuff going on in those days. You know, you heard about the, uh, the French and Indian wars, the, the war of, uh, I think it was 1812, the real early ones. And um, so finally, uh, we had we migrated over towards Green Bay, pre- present day Green Bay, uh, Wisconsin, and then we ended up traveling south down the Mississippi River. And uh, in 1735, we our two tribes, the Sauk and the Meskwaki, officially allied, and uh, we had one of the largest villages of that time, and and it was called Sauknik, and it was. Uh, right there east of the Mississippi River and north of the Rock River, right in that peninsula area in uh, present-day Rock Island, Illinois, which is probably about three hours uh, west of Chicago, uh, roughly. And our time there, um, the Meskwakis, they lived on the the west side of the Mississippi River, and we lived on the the east side. And uh, a part of the reason why we had such a large... uh, uh, village was uh, we allied with a lot of the the uh, woodland folks in that area. We had we had made relationships with the Potawatomi's, the Iowa's, the Miami's, um, even some of the Ho Chunks. Uh, those was, are try. Forgive me. Was that uh, was the reason for uh, alliances for the sake of more protection against the imperialistic um, intrusions that were happening? Yeah. Was that the was that like primary reason? Yeah, yeah. Um, you said it was one of the largest uh, 
villages at that period of time, do you have like a, a rough number of how many, uh, how many people had lived there at that time? Uh, in some of the research that I've done in the local archives there in Rock Island, uh, some say there was roughly 4,000, some say 6,000. Wow. Um, our Meskwaki relatives today, they refer to us as city folks. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we joke and tease and they tease us. You know, like, well, we're going to go visit our, our city folks relatives down here in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> and so what, what happened from there? Um, after the, uh, this was, uh, east and west of Mississippi, right? Uh, right. Okay. So, so, um, we were, we were, we were living happily in the area. The, the, the land was good for farming. Uh, we went hunting for Buffalo west of the Mississippi. We'd bring it back. Uh, our crops were phenomenal, uh, the, if you ever get to visit in Rock Island, Illinois, you'll you'll get to see like the calmness of the the river and the beauty of the nature in that area. It's so beautiful, and um, I, I I find a connection with those spirits um, every time I go there to visit. There's just something special about that area. Uh, so uh, we lived in that area from 1735 up until. Um, probably around 1830. Um, wow. In 1804, um, there was a, uh, an accident. One of our Sauk tribal members accidentally killed a settler that was moving into our area and took him into custody, and they took him down to St. Louis. And so uh, four of our chiefs, and, uh, one of them was Musquaki, uh, they went down there to negotiate his release. And um, uh, we had two chiefs. Well, we had one chief. His name was Keokuk. And we had a war leader uh, who had chief-like status by the name of uh, Black Hawk. And they never saw eye to eye. They was always in opposition to one another. Our chief Keokuk was ready to sign a treaty and move, you know, as long as they was filling some of his pockets up with some green money. <laughs> and one of our other our war leaders like, nope, we're going to defend our land. We're not moving. And so there was always kind of conflict within our tribe as well. Um, but when those four chiefs went down there uh, to negotiate his release, um, they, they let him, the, the United States government, they let him, they released him, but then they shot him. And then they introduced whiskey to our chiefs. And while they were drunk, they, they broke out the 1804 treaty uh, with the Sac and Fox uh, tribes, um, which would see 50 million acres of our land. So the land on the southern part of Wisconsin, uh, all most of uh, Illinois and some of Missouri was ceded away with that treaty. And a treaty is a contract that a tribe will have with the United States government. So that was uh, the very first treaty that impacted us directly. And so it was, it was pretty much the start of what would happen in 1832 at the Black Hawk War. And so after that happened, uh, we were told to go to Iowa and stay in Iowa. And we weren't never to return back to our homelands in Sognet. 
And so we lived there off and on. And treaties kept coming. The United States were like, well, the Americans were coming. They were like, all right, we want more land. You guys got to move to this area of Iowa. All right. A couple of years later, all right, we need this land too. You guys got to sign this treaty now. You guys got to move some more. So these treaties, they would move us. We, our chief, they would promise our chiefs this and that. And um, they would promise us gifts. They would promise us money uh, if we moved to make room for them. So we ended up in Iowa for a while. And um, Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson, signed the Indian Removal Act in 1830, which would um, pretty much start, the government would start moving Native Americans west of the Mississippi River to make room for all the Americans that were coming in from the East Coast. Uh, that's also uh, the act that started or kind of kickstarted the Trail of Tears. Um, earlier, Dave, Dave was talking about um, the Trail of Tears, the, the Cherokee, the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Seminole and Creek, all those tribes from the Southeast part of the United States, they were all forcefully uh, moved into what was called Indian Territory, present-day Oklahoma. And along the way, in every removal, our people lost lives along the way, lost babies. Um, there was one story that I heard from a, that I, well, I didn't hear it, but I read it. Uh, it was when I was doing research about the Trail of Tears, and some folks out there may have heard the, the little nursery rhyme, one little, two little, three little Indians. Well, there's a dark, dark story behind that. And in that, in that movement, they would stop at these different um, campsites. Uh, maybe, maybe the elders were too tired to travel, or maybe the, the U.S. agents want to stay one night. But the next morning, uh, if there were little babies crying, they, they, would, uh, they would put their head on a, a tree and kill them with their gun, on their, with the butt of their gun. And then on the way out of camp, that's how that song started. There's one, little, two, little, three, little, three. But because uh, the soldiers didn't want to hear them cry, they took them out. So yeah. that's that's the story behind it, that little. It, it's it's so heartbreaking because remember also reading where the soldiers at night they used to light the huts on fire. They used mm-hmm. to pull out the women and they used to rape them and then slaughter yep. them and they used to line them up by the bushes near the, the burnt, uh, whatever was left of the place. They did that mm-hmm. for fun. Yes. American soldiers. And we weren't, you know, we, we talk about World War II and World War One. There was another war before those. Right. Yep. The, unspoken, uh, the unspoken war. That's what it is. Right. right. It's just uh, history, history just wasn't um, written as thoroughly as those first two that we uh, that we mentioned, right? World War One, World War Two. You bring those up. I mean, they're for the most part they're fairly well documented. A lot of the the people that had survived it were able to speak up and survived into modern day, where technology makes it possible to share those stories and it um, it comes out to uh, to the public, you know. But these are hundred, you know, hundreds of years ago. 200 yeah, but think about the civil years. war. Think about the so, civil what, war. So, think about the civil war, right? Yeah. The civil war was before World War One, and it's highly documented. We know mm-hmm. where wars took yes. place. So I technology has changed, it's true, 
But also keep in mind we're we are able to have pretty good and accurate information of World War One, and then before that the Civil War. When it comes to Native Americans, even though that's that same time period around eighteen fifty five and eighteen sixty five. But that information is kind of scattered. It's not. Right. It's purposely not well, put together. Well, that's why they call it his story. So <laughs> even even for uh, the Civil War, as you're like describing it, um, someone someone had written those um, those uh, pieces of evidence of what had occurred. Um many of them didn't really survive long enough to come into modern day to be able to share it. Whereas World War I, World War II, we have had a lot of people that survived almost 100 years to be able to speak about it in modern day. Even with the Civil War, like there's probably things that um, were not well documented. And again, documented by whom and for what reason? We're not hearing it from any survivors necessarily. Right. Um, but um, even more so, like the it's serious atrocities that were going on. Um, and in a lot of ways, not to sound like a dick, you know, not my intention, but it's, you know, these wars and these conflicts uh, generally will have a lot of collateral damage, um, just casualties of war and movement. And uh, and yes, you, you do have soldiers that just don't care. I mean, we see these things even today that uh, atrocities are happening in silent wars across the globe that we don't know is happening, parts of Africa. Uh, and, um, you know, these are modern day soldiers that are doing these types of things. Um, right. it, is, it is quite dark, as you put it, Joaquin, of where that song kind of originated um, mm -hmm. and, and the and the horrific uh conditions that it must have been uh to to go through this i mean treaty after treaty being forced to move uh and like what do you do with that i mean uh how do you you know how does anybody deal with that um so sorry to cut you off uh there's there's always bits of, bits and pieces of where like you mentioned things that are so, uh, so critical that we, that like I might want to touch up on and kind of get more info or Dave wants to touch up on. Yeah. Um, sure. The, um, you know, from, from that point, I mean, this is what, 1850s, 1860s? Uh, 18, early 1830s, 1830s. Um, when it was all said and done, every like majority of um, these tribes, across the country had been moved to where exactly was it Oklahoma is where they settled or forced to forced to settle. Yeah. Yeah. While the government set that piece of land aside for it was, it was pretty much a dumping grounds for all natives by the U S government from uh, 1830, from 1830 up until the sixties, we still had tribes being moved into this area like 30 years later. And uh, you know what, it, you know, we was talking about the, the wars and stuff. It was, it wasn't up until recently when our Native American veterans finally started getting recognized for their part in winning some of these wars. A lot of a lot of folks don't know because it's not taught that our tribal languages help the United States government win yes. some of these wars because 
in our language, they couldn't break the codes. You know, we had, Correct. if we had, like, if we had, say we had four sacking foxes in, in a platoon or a company, we had one over on the West Bank of where it's on the river. We had one over here, you know, we would communicate in our language. Like if there was a, a bomber coming up in the sky, you know, we didn't, we didn't have, uh, words for those things in our language right but but in our language we would say things like here comes the turtle or the turtle's gonna drop a baby or things like that you know right or, right just improvising comes, right right yeah or, here comes here comes the dragonfly you know talking about the size of the aircraft wow so, so a lot of folks don't know that but just up until recently a lot of our uh tribal not only our tribe but other tribal uh, what they called code talkers uh, were code talkers. acknowledged. Yeah, recently. Yeah, and uh, the Navajo tribe out in uh, New Mexico and Arizona, they have. I think they might have one left, or he might have passed on now. But they they really, um, uh, who would you say they really honored them in a good way um, for their services and our our tribe specifically. Um, we were referred to as the hard to kill Indians back in, you know, the late 1700s and early uh, 1800s. And uh, a lot of our war tactics from a lot of different tribes were actually used in the U.S. military. Wow. So, so that's a little history behind that. And they should be honored. Um, it's it's so awful in, in just American uh uh, politics that uh, even going back hundreds of years, like we don't need you until we need you. And, uh, and yeah. I mean, that's a huge uh, benefit to have because against uh, Imperial Japan, no one was going to be able to crack that code uh, unless they were able to seize a prisoner of war. That was from one of the tribes, same for Nazi Germany. I mean, mm -hmm. Nazi Germany had the, uh, had, uh, you know, had their own type of system uh, that the, uh, I forget what it was called, the Enigma, I think, for yeah. um, for uh, scrambling codes. But what the Native Americans of the tribes that participated in these wars, they, uh, you know, they they served America so well, and they they should all be honored. It's it's kind of crazy that it's only happening now, nearly a century later. Yeah, right. right. And, you know, it it's so <clears throat> it's funny. Because uh, I had somebody was talking about this Los Angeles speaking, and we were speaking earlier about Hollywood. There were Native American tribes that settled above where modern day Hollywood is, and settlers came, and the Native Americans basically said that we don't settle in the the Badlands. They were called the Badlands, you know. And America, oh my God, there's a giant plot. Native Americans don't even use it. So they built L.A. in the valley underneath. There has been so many problems with Los Angeles because Native Americans knew there, the <laughs> land itself is non-valuable. There was smog problems, there's a problem with electricity, there's a problem with water, all of this. And the Native Americans knew this hundreds of years before, and they never <laughs> settled in that land. But here Myers. you come, the settlers are like, nah, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And look at L.A. right now. Yeah. I mean, the, it's crazy. The, the, the crisis of fires that happen here uh, year after year are pretty serious. And it ends up in the news, mainstream news for people to hear. That is mm -hmm. the primary reason uh, is that um, 
uh, the natives of this land knew damn well that if you lived here, you know, you're prone to dealing with fires. You know, your drought. village is going to keep... Yeah, drought. It's silly. But here we are, Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, man. That's why we, to this day, with all the modern technology that we have and all the, you know, all the support, firefighters and, and the like, we still deal with horrible wildfires that do um, sometimes hundreds of thousands of acres of damage uh, per season, per fire season. It's, uh, it's insane. Uh, we stopped controlled fires. We used to do them because we knew damn well it was necessary. But uh, like Dave said, you go back a few centuries, they knew very well not to settle there. It was not, as you said, not valuable land. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and you know, yeah. I, I, uh, I told you, you swore for my brother. I had a customer that called up. He had a farm out in Missouri. And we were just like busy yapping on the phone. And he, he told me, you know, like, my farm is the best out of every, you know, everybody in Missouri. And I'm like, okay, you want to explain to me why? And he says to me, he says, I bought mine from a Native American. And, <laughs> and he's like, they know the land. Yeah. Um, and it's true. You know, if you look at a lot of farming industries in the United States, they struggle horribly because they don't know where to grow. They They don't mm-hmm. know where the right places are. And the truth is... You have to keep in mind the people that molded and shaped this nation for 12,000 years is your people. Mm. You know, it's like somebody's got to listen eventually. Yeah. You know, as uh, Native Americans, we have a deep connection to Mother Earth. And it's a connection and an understanding that only we have. And you're right. You know, um, we're, we're taught these things from, from a young age, you know, where, where to plant, where to uh, get certain types of wood and things like that. And in all of these forceful removals, we had to learn the, the new environments. You know, we had, to, we had to figure out every time we removed, we had to use a different type of uh, wood or learn how to plant different uh, on our, our travels. So, you know, the wood isn't as... Uh, hard up north in you know illinois in that area and then the further south you get you know we went from using birch wood to uh like white elm or red elm and there's a big difference so we had to constantly learn as we're being forced out of these uh lands you know to, to what what to use and that was actually one of my questions you you just answered that thank you for that the the question was like you know how did uh, how did adaptation work out? And uh, clearly it did because mm-hmm. of, of the forced removals um, on a regular basis. It's just um, survival. And um, as they say, how's the, how does the saying go? Um, survival ne- survival ne- of the fittest? No, necessity is the mother of all inventions mm-hmm. is, the, is the saying. So it's like it was necessary to adapt and f- find a way. But um that connection, you know, um, is the, is is that would that be considered a religion for you guys? Is there a type of religion for the community that uh, everybody follows? Uh, yeah, each tribe has their uh, ceremonies and their traditional ways and beliefs, and um, like uh, in most like uh, in most uh, native tribes, even water uh, 
there's a spirit in it and about it because without water, there would be no humans or animals on this mother earth. So we use water, we use tobacco in a lot of our ceremonies, uh, we use fire. And so those are some of the, the elements that when they come together, you know, in our ceremonies, it's a beautiful thing. And, um, but a, a lot of our, a lot of our native people, we, we still deal with intergenerational trauma. Uh, we use prayer, we use, uh, our ceremonies to help with, you know, things like that. And there have been tests done. Uh, it's been proven that, you know, that when trauma like that can change your DNA and it's a true, it's real. A lot of our, uh, even my parents' generation, you know, they they suffered from that, and then things happen in today uh, today's world. You know, sometimes racism will trigger some of those hard feelings. You know, some of if my grandparent went through something bad, and racism can tr- trigger things like that. You know, yeah, it's or, a, it it's we, we were had a we had a season about this. We had about psychedelics, and one of the big things that the Nixon government uh, was very supportive of is banning psychedelics because Native Americans use them. That was like one of their biggest and it's like the biggest fucking, excuse my French, fucking bullshit I've ever heard in my life where you ban something because it has a Native American culture on it. It's like, woo, boy. And everybody else has to suffer because of it. Because Native American tribes know the properties. They know how these stuff work. Mm-hmm. But it's taken away just because of pure racism. Right. When when the Americans were moving west, uh, they, they tried their hardest to take our ceremonies away from us. Like all the tribes, not just my tribe. They did away with uh, the ghost dance, the sun dance, the... Um, it's because they didn't understand it. They didn't. Well, they didn't want us here, anyways. But <laughs> yeah, there's, there's there's stories of the government government killing like a million buffalo, hoping that we wouldn't survive. There's, if you if you Google uh, a mountain of buffalo skulls, it's with crazy. A it's oh yeah, crazy. oh yeah. I told you about. Oh that, my right? god. <clears throat> yeah, Mike, go online and check this up right now. So. There was a time where they tried to wipe out all the buffalo, hoping we weren't we wouldn't survive. But we're still here and we're still breathing. <laughs> um, well, that's yes. you know what, what they did was like as you were describing, like that's the assimilation process they took. Um, it, it may have not been necessarily something of like trying to understand the culture. It was just more about like you know this is what we're going to do because. Uh, this is how we're going to maintain uh, control and dominance um, right. to go that far. Uh, what did you call it? The mountain of Buffalo, Buffalo skulls. I'm going to look that up right now. I, uh, I, yeah. I think also one thing I would love to touch on is Joaquin, we were talking about this, um, you being a powwow dancer mm-hmm. and uh, you also sent me a picture. It's going to be on the podcast cover, mm-hmm. you know, you're telling me how important, like it's part of your culture where you feel a spirit, a connection towards the music that you're doing, you know, kind of just explaining to our listeners, kind of the, you know, the music that you do, the dancing, kind of that mm-hmm. experience within the, you know, within your tribe. Um, okay. 
Yeah, so uh, that dates back to the old days as well. When we when we returned to the village from a battle or war, uh, we would have a victory dance or a war dance. And in those days, that's when we danced. You know, whether whether it was a victory uh, of a war or um, some of our ceremonies, we danced. But uh, today, we still dance at uh, things called powwows, which is a social gathering. Um, where it's it's a homecoming where all of the our families and our our friends we all come home and ours particular is a four day event uh, it's always the second weekend in July but it's a celebration of song and dance and there is uh, on Thursday is our traditional night where we we danced all the social dances in our tribe and then Friday Saturday Sunday is. Uh, competition dancing for all the different tribes that came to dance with us. But, uh, but yeah, um, I've, I was brought up around the, the dance arena uh, since I was a young boy and I've danced my whole life. Uh, in 1997, my brother Curtis and I started a drum group called Youngbird. And in 2000, I believe it was 2001 or 2002, uh, we were nominated uh, for the Grammys, uh, for in the best Native American music album. Wow. wow. So, so that was something big for all of us small town, small town homeboys, you know. And you can actually see our music if you go to YouTube and type in Young Bird Singers. I, I, told, um, I told you I had to randomly come on to, I have Native American playlists I put on for meditation. Oh, yeah. I remember just like once it came on and I'm like, Wait a minute, that's you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Young bird singers. Um, so, yeah, so we, we still dance today. We still have ceremonies. We still have, uh, um, we have singing sessions. But, um, you know, to, to finish up on our, our tribal history, our tribal history, um, in Iowa, we were there from the 18, you know, 30s up until the Black Hawk War. And then we were to sign another treaty in 1842. And then three years later, uh, in 1845, the United States agents ended up moving us into Kansas. Because a lot of times in my educational uh, uh, groups, I get questions like, well, if you're from Illinois, how did you end up in Oklahoma? And so that's, that's the story behind that part. So in 1845, we ended up moving from Iowa to Kansas. And then um, in about around 1851, some of our Meskwaki relatives ended up going back to Iowa because they didn't want to stay in Kansas. And in 1856, the, the state of Iowa, the U.S. government, allowed the Meskwaki uh, tribe to purchase their first 80 acres from the U.S. government. And to my knowledge... Uh, they're the only tribe to ever purchase their tribal homelands from the U.S. government. So that's, that all—that's that ridiculous, happened. though that they had that they uh, that they had to buy it back. Like it's, right. it was ours to begin with, man. Right, right. So in eighteen, <laughs> so in eighteen fifty-seven, yeah. So in eighteen fifty-seven, that that actually happened, and then the rest of us that was in Kansas, uh, we lived there for a while longer. And then in 1867, uh, our chief Moses Keokuk signed another treaty 
that would move us into Indian territory, uh, which is present day Oklahoma. And in that treaty, they promised us, um, they promised us homes for our chiefs. They promised us, uh, 380,000 acres of land, uh, livestock. They, they really put it on the plate, you know, to, to lure us down here. And How so much when did it was, they deliver, uh, they deliver not all of it because what they didn't tell us was that all the agents that it took for the government to move us down here, uh, they were going to get paid off the top. And they didn't say that in, wow. in the treaty. Um, the five billings that they promised our chief, our, all, of, all of our five chiefs, they didn't tell us that that was going to come off the top either. So uh, we've been getting screwed since day one. <laughs> and wow. so, so today uh, we have three bands of the Second Fox people. We have our Meskwaki relatives in Iowa who on paper are referred to as the Sac and Fox tribe of the Mississippi River. And then our relatives in Kansas, they are the Nimaha, which on paper are referred to as the Sac and Fox nation of the Missouri River in Kansas and Nebraska. And then finally, our, our tribe down here uh, we are the Thawki people. We're the Sac and Fox Nation of Oklahoma. And out of the three bands, we are the largest. We have approximately 4,004 tribal members. Um, our relatives in Kansas, they have right around between four and 500, I believe. And then our relatives in Iowa, they have probably around 1,500. And wow. today we, we support each other you know, during our ceremonies and our dances. So sometimes our people here will go to Iowa and dance with them. And then in July, uh, they'll come down here and dance with us. And a lot of times the veterans organizations, they'll support one another and help each other out. Yeah. I can't so, believe the, I can't believe the numbers have come down that, that low though. I mean, uh, 4,000, 5,000, uh, there aren't many of you guys left. Yeah. So so in the in the country of the United States, there are approximately 575 tribes. Um, in like I said, in the state of Oklahoma, because it was the dumping grounds for the United States government, today we have 39 tribes in this one state, and all but like two or three, I believe, are originally from here. Did I say that right? Two of them are originally from here, but everybody else was forcefully moved here got it that's still a lot of tribes um not as much as before there was a lot more tribes than 500 mm. a lot of them wow. <clears throat> unfortunately one thing there are there are tribes where there's very little known about them because especially canadian tribes because the mm. french made sure there was no record left they burnt everything that's what happened mm-hmm. in, that's what happened in canada so some of those tribes we don't really we don't really know who they were. We know some history from tribes meeting them, but a lot of it is lost. We probably will never get yeah. any of that back. I, I mean, yeah. I, either through excavation or um, some kind of archaeology, some things might pop up eventually, but humanity, man, I mean, look at what we do to each other. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Um, so please continue. So when our uh, so our people 
the Sac and Fox Nation of Oklahoma, we were we were moved here from Kansas, and it took about 19 days in covered wagons, escorted by United States agents. So they made sure we weren't going to turn around and go back. Um, so we get here. Uh, in that treaty, they were like, all right, you guys get this 380,000 acres of land right there uh, west of the Creek Nation. Because the, Creeks were, the Creek tribe already got here from the Trail of Tears in uh, 1830. And this is 1869 when we're rolling into town. Wow. And, and so, like, what is that, 30 years, almost 40 years? Yeah. Um, so uh, they built five brick homes for our chiefs. Uh, we had 380,000 acres. Uh, in 1872, uh, they built the boarding school. It was referred to as the Sac and Fox Mission School, which was designed and created to civilize these merciless savages. <laughs> you know, man, it was so. They they really they really liked fucking Native Americans. I've noticed. It's yep. Like it's like a it's like a trend that they have, and it's just hard. I. I feel like that's also a really hard pinnacle because now you go through assimilation. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And, you know, um, like I made mention earlier, to teach about one tribe is to teach about most tribes. And it, it, it goes for Canada as well, because in Canada, they had what they called the residential schools, which the government and the Catholic Church worked together to civilize, you know, all the natives up there. They call them... Uh, uh, what do they call them? First Americans is what they refer to their tribes as. Um, and then down here were Native Americans. Uh, but their schools was called residential schools. Ours was called boarding schools. And so, um, you know, we get here 1869. Uh, the, the school was built in 1872. Um, our, our tribal government was formed in 1885. Um, the school ended up closing in 1917. Uh, we have two famous people from our tribe and that's our war leader, Black Hawk and, uh, Jim Thorpe. Some of y'all might've heard of Jim Thorpe. Uh, he was, uh, he went to the Olympics and won two medals in Stockholm, Sweden, uh, in 1912. Uh, he was the first CEO for uh, what would become the National Football League. Uh, in those days, in 1920, it was called the American Professional Football Association. But Jim Thorpe was a Second Fox tribal member. He was also part Potawatomi. But uh, he, he made a name for himself in the sports world, and uh, he became well-known you know, for his football and track. But a lot of folks didn't know he was the first CEO what would become the National Football League. Um, he won those medals in 1912 in the decathlon and the pentathlon. And he represented the U.S. government before Native Americans even became U.S. citizens of this government, of this country. We didn't, Native Americans didn't become United States citizens until 1924. Wow. And so, and we're still, you know, we still have battles that we're trying to fight. Like uh, what modern day, uh, right. like political, uh, more so modern day, like um, cultural think with, about, the, with the government. Think about, uh, COVID. A, think about COVID, for example. Yeah, our, our, our new battles are like um, 
like land issues. Okay. Uh, it's really it's really difficult right now uh, where I'm from because there's what you call cross deputization with all the different you know law enforcement. So in Oklahoma, we have uh, the highway patrol, we have the sheriffs, we have the city police, and then now we got tribal cops. And so when there's crime on any of this land, it's like, well, whose jurisdiction is it? There's all these, there's all these imaginary. Well, I can't say imaginary. There's there's all these boundaries and and lines that we can't see. Sometimes it's like, man, who? Yeah, who's supposed to take care of this? <laughs> Well, they're man-made boundaries. It's right. not, they're not imaginary. Like uh, it's they, they've been um, either negotiated or just uh, uh, agreed upon, right? And uh, but even then, that's that is pretty difficult to think that there's still land issues today. Uh, over mm-hmm. a century later, is insane. Um, it should go back to to the rightful owners. And uh, and even then, like I remember what was going on with the uh, the pipeline several years ago. Right, the North Dakota pipeline, and, uh, right. and there was a lot of natives that went there and protested, and they were they were, they were getting physical. Obama mm-hmm. didn't do jack shit about it. There were yeah. you know there were uh, what do you call it? There were uh, mercenaries being used on those um, on those um, areas of land in question where they wanted to build, and people right. were getting hurt, like severely hurt. It's insane that to this day we're still having these issues. Um, I mean, go ahead. I mean, think about it. <clears throat> I don't know how this is affecting the Sac and Fox Nation, but you know, have you been running into problems with people trying to buy into the land, saying that, oh, this is free land, you don't use it. You know, we'll talk to the United States government, we'll buy a plot. Have there been any kind of problems like that, or no? Yeah, yeah, that's that's an everyday thing for us here. Uh, but that reminds me uh, that I need to touch on. Um, the the uh the land grab or the land run okay so in in and around 1890 the u.s government they thought all right we gave all these tribes this land in indian territory to live on but now uh we're gonna start cutting this land up into allotments and we're gonna allot each tribal member 160 acres so what that did for my tribe is that on that big old 380,000 acres that we had originally, they would come in. And at that time, we only had 548 tribal members. Wow! So they gave each tribal member 160 acres out of that 380,000. And the land that was left went back to the government or went up as surplus lands, uh, which they were going to open up for settlement to the non-natives there was this one little piece of land in the middle of oklahoma it's called the unassigned lands they had what um they had the land run there was all these people in their wagons and on their horses and they were ready to go uh stake out their piece of land in that one little piece in the middle of oklahoma but they started crossing the lines and getting into the 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 tribal lands that the government promised us and so there was already all that conflict so then when Senator Henry L. Dawes uh, passed this law, this act, uh, it was another treaty signing that the, the, the uh, leaders would kind of be pushed into signing. So like two-thirds of that 380,000 acres went back to the U.S. government. So now today, 
our tribal lands is like a checkerboard. So like if you're driving through our reservation, uh, one minute you're on a lot of tribal lands. The next minute you're on a farm and then some more tribal lands and another farm over here. That's and then crazy. It, yeah, it's, 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 it's a just mess. scattered. Yeah, it's a mess. It's scattered. And, right. I'm, and even at this very point, I know that Oklahoma has a pretty big, uh, 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 pretty big cannabis market, low barrier of entry, very easy to get uh, licenses uh, to get into cannabis uh, uh, cultivation. Um, from what I'm hearing, uh, there are, you know, there are people who are from outside of the state showing up, snagging land, uh, abusing the land, um, abusing the uh, uh, the water usage. So like that's got to be a current, more, more of a current issue that's going on for you guys. Um, right. So I don't know if you've experienced any of these as of recently, but this is all in the last like year or so that, uh, right. some, you know, some of these pieces of land are being run by uh, like just Chinese people, Chinese people mm-hmm. that uh, just show up and start cultivating weed and care, care nothing about the land. They'll abuse it and then move on. And like, uh, and we, we know how long it takes for the land to, to recover. Um, it's, uh, it's rather crazy. So that was 1890 and present day. It's, it's a, it's a current mess that is, uh, like a checkerboard as you described it. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so in this, um, so the, the, the 380,000 acres that was in that treaty that was supposed to be our tribal lands, um, inside this jurisdiction is, it's probably about a 60 mile by 30 mile piece of land. And inside this land is 12 public schools. And so from 1890 to now, you know, all these little towns were built inside our tribal jurisdiction. Um, In in that treaty, um, they allowed our tribe to have 1,035 acres to put our tribal headquarters, which is like our our business committee, our, our five elected officials, uh, that run our tribe, our cultural center, our our Indian Health Service clinic, um, our administration building, our education building, and then our big our powwow grounds where we have our annual events, and then our USDA uh, building where we help you know Native Americans that are in need, uh, that are low income that 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 need food you know, uh, so. Out of that big old piece of land, I always wondered why did they only give us a thousand thirty-five to to put our tribal headquarters? You know, it's just, why? It made it so difficult. I have no idea. You still don't know? Okay, no. Um, it's it's a they, it's a big piece of it's a big land grab. I mean, you said five hundred some odd tribal members in in the eighteen nineties. You were promised three hundred eighty thousand acres, um, and then they changed it through coercion getting the chiefs to uh, to sign on these treaties where now you only get 160 acres per member at 500 or so members. That's only, I think, uh, what is that? That's only um, 5,000, 5,000 acres, 50,000 acres. Shoot. It's probably about a third of. <laughs> yeah. Like, let me, let me crunch these numbers. I'm, I'm curious because that's a huge land grab and um, it's. Yeah. It's insane that uh, they they got away with that. So let's say uh, five hundred so, people at a hundred uh, and sixty, eighty thousand. Like I feel like I'm in a math class right now. 
And I'm like, I don't want to be tested right now. Like, no, no one's asking. No one's asking you to get tested, Dave. Don't worry. Just, just you know, don't worry too much. The, but you're not testing me. The the calculator does all the work. Eighty thousand acres is all that you got out of three hundred eighty thousand acres that well, was originally actually, promised. Well, right, they, have... they didn't. They didn't lie about. They didn't lie. They lied about the three hundred thousand. They didn't lie about the eighty thousand. <laughs> Semantics. <laughs> so we had we had five hundred. Let's see. Multiply five hundred and forty-eight times one hundred and sixty acres. So hundred k. Yeah. So that's that's what our land. What that's the land that was allotted to our tribal members. Everything else went back. Which is I always use the 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 words like or the numbers we kept about. What I say, two thirds or one? Two, you said two thirds went back. Yeah. So one third, two third, three third. Yeah. So two third. I, that's the number I always use. I might be a little off. That's substantial. It's man, substantial. Man. Just uh, you know, like Dave was saying, you know, they're they've been out to to screw over the uh, Native American tribes since day one. But it's I said like, fu- I said fuck, not screw, but yeah, it's it's okay, <laughs> you know, um, but. In uh, in reality, like this is this is what human beings do and have done it for so long. It's just uh, awful. It's really awful. Um, in in modern day, um, as we as we kind of speed along through through this podcast, like in modern day, what's going on with the youth that is a part of like let's say uh, your kids, other members' kids? How are they? Uh, how are they integrating? Are they finding difficulty integrating into uh, the community that you guys have built? Uh, and how's integration for them with uh, outside of the community? You know, as, as Native Americans, uh, sometimes it can be difficult because we have to live in two different worlds. Right. So like, so like you know, we, we go to public schools. Uh, we go to college to build uh, a career, uh, get educated. Um, we work jobs from, you know, eight, eight to five every day, like everybody else. But the difference is, uh, on weekends, we have our ceremonies, we have our dances, uh, we have our, our spring doings. And sometimes when you're doing that, you know, it'll start Friday evening right after work. And then we have to be back at work Monday morning. So sometimes it can be difficult. And um, the biggest part right now is to get our young children interested in our language, in our culture, our dances. Um, Because it's like any other community. Um, You know, they want to go hang out with their friends. Some of them aren't focused on school. Some of them don't want to be native. Um, It's it's. It's pretty difficult, actually. Yeah. Um, right now, we have uh, we have an emerging uh, program in our language department at work, so we're starting to reach more young children to teach their language, teach the language to them. And um, at those twelve schools in our jurisdiction, uh, there are sa- uh, a percentage of Sac and Fox uh, tribal member uh, students that go to school there. So we have after school programs where where we can meet with them if they want to start learning the language or if they want to learn a, uh, to weave about or to talk about history. Like me, myself, I'll go and 
share this same history that I'm sharing with you all with them. Uh, so they know where they come from, because some of my teachings to the young kids is that when you know who you are and where you come from, it builds strength in your identity. And when you have that, your, your self-esteem is out of the roof. You, you feel better about yourself because you know where you come from, you know? Yeah. Sure. It's, uh, I was watching a video, I think it was on YouTube. There's this girl, I think she's maybe a couple of years older than me. She actually does sign language, but in Native American tribes in their language. And she does the sign language because, you know, people like can hear, you know, for example, in the tribe or whatever, and then they can communicate. So you like I can I personally I don't know. I don't live in the community, but I can see even from the youth. There's this wanting this drive of being a part of the real world, but also having connection to their roots, know where they come from and how to continue it. Mm -hmm. And at our annual event at our powwow in July. Uh, you know, like I made mention earlier, it's a homecoming. So a lot of the the families that live out of state, uh, they come home for those four days and we we eat, we cook, uh, we dance. We just we really enjoy ourselves. And, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast, you know, I, I would like to invite everyone, even you two gentlemen, to, I would to come. come to. Yeah, come. I'm down. Is it, is it, is it something open like that, that... Uh, is it invita- invitation only? Can people come? Uh, it's and- it's a public event. Uh, everyone's welcome. Uh, the only thing that's private is our ceremonies. But this isn't a ceremony. It's a it's a social gathering. We do our social dances. Um, we get to make new friends. See see the old friends. Uh, they have vendors that set up their booths that sell um, arts and crafts. Mm-hmm. It's just a really nice uh, gathering. Uh, we honor our veterans there. We honor our elders. And uh, like I said, it's a four-day event. It's always the second weekend in July. Um, we didn't have it for two years because of the pandemic. So right. this year, we have a feeling it's going to be huge. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, that's good. The only ceremony that I've ever been to that was a Native American one was an ayahuasca mm. uh, ceremony I did with the, uh, the Navajo Nation. But mm. I'm telling <laughs> you, it's incredible. Like, mm-hmm. they sit there, and they play these instruments. I don't even know what half of them are called. Mm-hmm. And you, I remember this so clearly, like, it was, you kind of become a part of the earth that's underneath you. It's mm-hmm. like you, you, you turn into a tree, and all you can do is kind of sprout yourself out. I don't know what it is, but it's just... Everything about Native American culture is about the land. And the more you think about it and the more that you connect to it, like even little orc, like I have here, just as reference, like this little thing here. I don't know if you could see it. Mm-hmm. You can like literally see like it's horse here that they burn on. Mm-hmm. And you can see like the intricate work. There's like a story behind it. Yeah. I don't know another culture that's like that. I really don't. See, like, you know how I mentioned earlier how we have a deep connection to Mother Earth? Like, like everything, I always hold my water up because water, my grandpa told me if you pray over water, you turn it into holy water. That's how, you know, spiritual we are as natives. And 
we, we were always taught that everything has a spirit and to be good to one another. Uh, we, we call each other brother and sister a lot, you know, when we make friends and when we're at a dance or a ceremony, there's, there's an energy that's produced uh, through the singing, uh, the drum sound that that's really moving. And it's an energy that, that could bring a tear to your eye or make your heart feel happy. And it's just hard to it's hard to describe if you're not there to experience it. Yeah. But you know, uh, you said you're from Florida. Mike's from California, right? Correct. I'm from New York originally, but I live in Florida. Oh. So every February, um, they have an event down there in Hollywood, Florida. Maybe someday we'll get to meet you down there at that powwow. And then in California, Mike, I'll actually be at. Uh, Pachanga, I think it's the first weekend in January for 2023. Please reach out. Um, uh, the lost in the groove uh, Gmail is what you can use and just reach I, out. I have him on. I have him on Facebook. If you want, Joaquin, if you're okay with this, I can send over Mike. Yeah, but that's what I've been, really, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. messaging. We've I'll been be doing honest, Facebook, Facebook Messenger. I love it. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't use any of those things. Email is my preference, but please, you know. Send me an email and an invite. I'll bring my family along too. I would have had a, a newborn at about uh, I don't know four or five months old at that point. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun um, to bring my daughters along. You know, there's two points I wanted to to mention based on like what you were saying and it uh, like a little bit of, a little bit of the research uh, immediately brought up uh, how connected Native Americans were with the land and it's uh, it, it's a critical part of the existence and the the culture mm-hmm. you mentioned water you may be familiar with uh these tests run on water uh some years ago uh very various different research conducted on just plain water where they would bottle it they would play music to it depending on the type of music it would uh it would actually change um like uh writing notes for example the phrase I love you being taped onto the bottle of water or the sample of water versus I hate you, you know, and even that um, had uh, some, some serious effects that, uh, that were produced in the water itself. Uh, It's quite, I want to say magical in in that regard. So um, when you, when you think of the elements there, water is probably one of the most, powerful ones and it's very interesting through all the research it has come out and it's become somewhat uh, of a, a a fact a matter of fact that water holds memory the uh the second part point i wanted to kind of talk about was um the the current world that we're in now modern day you may have seen this, right? This woke culture that is uh, growing across the nation, maybe across the world. But in a, in a way, many of the, uh, the populations of the world, maybe younger generations, are leaning towards these beliefs, uh, these belief systems, this, uh, this, uh, this kind of way of life of treating the earth better, um, treating each other better, at least we hope. That's part of the uh, part of the program. But um, have you noticed any of that? What are your thoughts about uh, this this current culture of young people that are beginning to kind of express 
this concern for Mother Earth, the connection they may have with it? Yes. Uh, you know, at times it can be difficult to get them interested in what we do uh, as a native, you know, people. Um, it's it's always, man, it's always so challenging to, you know, really connect with young people. Uh, there's so many, like, personalities and, like, different areas that they come from, you know, like how they were raised and stuff. Sure. Uh, it's always so challenging. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's it's kind of a tough one, actually. That's well, kind of but, but have you been, have you noticed that there is a growing like change in that perception that, um, that, uh, a, a certain demographic of younger people are feeling the, um, a, a greater need or desire to, uh, right. Okay. I see. Have you, have, you, see have you noticed that? Like, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. What I've noticed even just recently, you know, with all the conflict happening across the ocean and, uh, Ukraine and Russia and stuff like that. Um, it, it, it actually put a, a need in their mind to want to get connected, you know, like spiritually. Sure. Uh, I've had a yeah. few that reached out to me personally, you know, that, that didn't quite feel too good. You know, they want to, they want to learn more about our ceremonies. They want to learn more about the language because, uh, that's a blessing in itself. Just learning our language, you know, yeah. um, to be connected that way. So, yeah. yeah. It's it's kind of like it's good and bad at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense. So it's like, come on, guys, keep coming. You know, <laughs> we, yeah. we, we need you. Come be a part of this. Come learn all this stuff, you know. You know, like <clears throat> one of one of the type of, you know, I would say it, you know, they, they call it hippie, you know, hippies. Hippies are, you know. I consider myself to be one, and there are many people today that are following that path because hippies actually followed Native American culture. You know, we see this, a lot of them went down to New Mexico, a lot of them went to Oklahoma. They were connecting with tribes, that was their thing. They wanted to get to know the people of the land. And it's coming back now because people are realizing they weren't just a bunch of young schmucks driving VW buses and smoking crack. Okay, maybe sometimes we were smoking crack and maybe a little bit of cocaine. <laughs> All right. But that is a connection that people yearn for. And I think it is an important and it's a really big thing that it's happening now because we need it more than ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Well said. Makes, makes you think. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it sure man, does. I really enjoyed visiting with you guys. Sharon. We really appreciate you too, Joaquin. Um, I got a, a couple of more questions, and I don't know if Dave has any himself. Um, mm -hmm. uh, any current news or anything that you want our listeners to know about your tribe or Native American heritage and culture? How they can uh, connect, maybe help out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first of all, um, back in 1990, President George H.W. Bush declared the month of November Native American Heritage Month, uh, which allows us as natives to share some of our heritage, you know, by performing some of our traditional dances, sharing history, uh, sharing stories with uh, the public. So 
some folks out there listening to the podcast may not have even heard that before. But, you know, I have two dance companies and we perform for different schools across the state of Oklahoma. Uh, we performed in uh, Atlanta at the 96 Olympics, wow. uh, Fremont Street in Vegas. Um, oh. We United Center in Chicago. Uh, I took a dance troupe. Well, I didn't, but I went with the dance troupe uh, to uh, Genoa, Italy, to share some of our heritage. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so November is Native American Heritage Month, so I would like to share that. And then also, uh, if you want to learn more about the Sac and Fox Nation of Oklahoma, uh, visit our website. Uh, most tribes in this country have websites. Um you can look at all 39 tribal websites here in Oklahoma if you'd like. Uh, there's many tribes in California as well. That's actually how we connected. It's because of that website. And, oh. uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, if you can send me the link, I'll put it in the description. So all you guys that are listening, you can go ahead and check them out and learn as much yeah. as you want, please. <laughs> yeah, we have, some, we have, a, we have a quite a, let's see, we have a few educational uh, video clips. Uh, on our website, uh, you can read the newsletters uh, that are put out monthly. Uh, you can actually see all 21 treaties that our tribe signed with the U.S. government on our website. Um, These are can, original documents? Uh, yeah, well, there are, someone uh, typed them up, but they are okay. from the original documents. Okay. I actually have a... I have, back in the 80s, I don't know if you can see that good, but back in the 80s, uh, our our five elected officials made this happen. And what this book is, is all the treaties that our tribe signed with the U.S. government. God, that looks very that's detailed. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. And I don't know if you can see this very well, but that's the state of Oklahoma and all the different tribes that are in there. Wow. It literally is like a giant. Jigsaw puzzle. Jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I wish so, I wish you guys can see this, but just to give you an idea, it looks like Oklahoma, but instead of it being Oklahoma, you're playing chess. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Got all the tribes. You can actually you can actually see a tribal. I don't know. I don't know what you'd Google, but you can actually see that map online. Just type in tribes of Oklahoma. You can see all the different tribes. Wow. Uh, but yeah, visit our tribal website. Um, as far as the dancing, uh, you can go to YouTube. Uh, you can type in Sack and Fox annual powwow. You can type in Young Bird Singers. Um, you can type in, or you can go visit powwow trails. I, I can, I could put a link. Like I said, you know, the more the merrier. I can put a bunch of links uh, where they can reach the website, the YouTube, and all of that. So I'll message you afterwards. You'll send them over, and I'll put something together. Okay, yeah. and then. Awesome uh, sauce. Like there's powwows in every state uh, all year long. Now that the now that the uh, powwow trail is starting to open up more, you know the the cases of COVID's going down. Uh, the powwows are going to start happening again. And yeah, in that department, I I MC quite a bit at all these powwows. So I'll be traveling to y'all's neck of the woods every now and then. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Before we let you go, I, I do have like two la two last questions. I promise. I, I feel like they're important. One is, w like, where and when did casinos <laughs> come into play for uh, for the tribes? We know that okay. a lot of more Indian uh, Indian reservations um, were the 
those treaties, like what years did we did we start seeing them come into play? Okay, so um, in the 80s, bingo was a big thing. So a lot of our tribes, they had these bingo halls. And what it was for was to generate revenue for the tribe uh, to put into the different programs that are ran by the tribe, you know, for the elders, the school kids, um, what have you. Um, and so from the 80s, probably early 90s is when the casino started really coming into the reservation or the natives started building casinos on their reservations. And what that was, was to generate revenue for the tribes uh, to help with the different programs to help with the tribal members. Was that, uh, so, was that like government subsidized? Uh, how did, like, cause they're, they're expensive casinos. They're probably multi-million dollars to build. Where did the money come from to build these? Uh, I'm thinking, I think it's different for each tribe. Like, okay. Um, was it, I mean, they weren't built by the government. I know that. Because uh, well, uh, sometimes uh, people m- might think that, you know what, these uh, casinos were funded um, in some way as, as, a, as a way to um, make up for the past, right? um, for, all the, for all the atrocities. And, and it's like, here, here's a casino, you know, don't, don't bring up the past. <laughs> yeah, see, here in Oklahoma, uh, we have some casinos that do better than others due to location. Like, uh, like we have two casinos. We have one here in Shawnee where I live. And then we have one on the reservation in Stroud, which is about 36 miles from where I'm at. And one does better than the other. Um, but, uh, we, we build these on our own in hopes of building, uh, revenue for our tribe and the big, like some of the tribes in California, they're very, very fortunate because their tribal lands are by these huge cities. And so they generate more than what we would here in Oklahoma. And so after they put their funding into their programs to help their tribal members, then they get to share, you know, some of the, the extra money, you know, that's good. Yeah. As long as it's, you know, being passed around the community and it's, uh, it's uh, improving the quality of life for everybody as a whole. Like that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, my, my, my final thing is uh, any new evidence from the archives? You, say, you said that you were given a new position and it's within the archives. I'm really curious, like, have you discovered anything new that you can share? Anything interesting? Yeah, you know, one, one fun fact is what I thought was so cool is that uh, I get daily calls from tribal members that are requesting their genealogy, trying to huh. connect... The- like they want to connect the dots to their past. They want to know what their ancestors' names are, what what are their their sock names, their tribal names. And so one for about, I think it was about a month ago, for a few days, I was getting these calls from the East Coast. And I'm like, how am I getting requests from the East Coast? So come to find out when through research in our archives, reading some of these old documents. When our boarding school was abolished in 1917, we had we had students that would end up in um, Virginia at the uh, Hampton Industrial School, I believe it was called. So we had little Sack and Fox students that ended up there. We had some that ended up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. We had some that ended yeah. up in Lawrence, Kansas at that uh, institute. 
And so some of our tribal members married in New Jersey. They married in, uh, I believe it was Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so when I was, when I was you, getting you, these calls. T- talking about Pennsylvania, actually, there's a, it's called the, uh, they call it the gold mine. So the gold mine is an area in Pennsylvania. It's about an hour away from Scranton. It's about 30 minutes away from Scarsdale, if I'm not mistaken. And there's casinos. It's like kind of like it's a made up Native American area. Like they have stupid signs of like Red Chief Bar nine miles away. Like that kind of like crap. Um, <laughs> but like I get what you're saying because like we kind of have that on the East Coast or like those just weird kind of Native American things. <laughs> but yeah, um, here in the state of Oklahoma, too. Um, our tribe was the first tribe in the state to uh, create their first tribal license plate. So when a tribal members purchase, when a tribal member purchases their vehicle or a vehicle, they can get it tagged through our tax commission. So it's the Sac and Fox uh, tribal plate. And um, uh, most tribes in Oklahoma followed suit. So you'll see a lot of native license plates in the state. You can, you can uh, Google uh, Victory Day in the Second Fox Nation, and that's when we won a Supreme case in D.C. to actually make this happen because we started it in the 80s, and the state was, uh, what would you call like double-charging the tribal members for their taxes on their vehicle. So we won that case. They We cut them off, but that will be something to Google as well. <clears throat> or, or you can look at it on our tribal website also. Yeah. Very interesting. My goodness. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. It's been an honor. Thank yeah. you. I learned so much today, and um, I hope uh, all you listeners did too. Mm-hmm. And uh, incredible to hear a story. <clears throat> <clears throat> Hold on. Of a nation that stands strong, that stands proud. And here's to another hundred years of incredible Native American history, youth, new generations, and new advances. See you guys in the next one. Thank you very much. All right, guys, we have reached that time in our podcast. This has been great. It has been fun, and we got lost in the groove. So stay tuned. Every Tuesday, be sure to check out a new episode of Lost in the Groove. It premieres about 2 a.m. in the morning. And our other channels, Sham Bam with Mike and Dave, which is our Patreon podcast, and our extra special, The Shindig Variety Show, our YouTube podcast. Links will be down in the description box so you can vote for what topic we cover next season and what other kind of content or new ideas and stuff we have to offer thank you guys so much for watching catch you guys in the next one